One of the things that we do is sometimes we, we kind of coach people through deep troubles. Sometimes we pass through deep troubles ourselves, and sometimes we have loved ones that pass through deep troubles, and commonly people will come to us when they're passing through deep troubles. And for 40 years, I've met with people from time to time that are going through trouble, and there's a, there's a little truth from the Bible, which is a bit of a technique, if you will, that I have found really helpful when I pass through deep trouble. And I found it really has been helpful to other people that I've shared it with them when they pass through deep trouble. And we'll see that in our text today, which is in Philippians in chapter 1. So take your Bible today and turn to Philippians chapter 1. And our text is from the end of verse uh, 18, the last phrase of verse 18, unto verse 30. Within it is this truth that helps people when they pass through deep trouble. I, I'll share it with you today. It's been helpful to me. But, but right now, let's just read this together. This is of Philippians chapter 1 and the last part of verse 18 through 30. And we're in a series about turning the Bethel wheel. In other words, practical ideas inspiration and insights from this letter to the Philippian church about how to follow Jesus and how to help other people follow Jesus. I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. And if you want a sermon title, that's it. I rejoice and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is Paul in prison, right? For me to live is Christ. To die, it's gain. And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for it is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That was Paul's way of saying, I, whether I'm there or not, I want to hear that the Bethel wheel is turning. I want to hear that you are following Jesus, and I want to hear that you are helping others to follow Jesus. I want to hear you're together on that. This is his way of saying it. And then this is verse, uh, verse uh, 28. Not frightened by anything, by, uh, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction and your deliverance or your salvation from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
So in this text, uh, Paul, this chunk of Philippians, Paul, there are two sections. In the first section, Paul's talking about himself, and in the second section, he's charging them, and, and, and this is how we're going to approach this today. Let's take a look at what Paul says about himself and his dilemma between, am I going to live or am I gonna, or am I going to die? And then what does Paul say to the people? And then what, why did God put that in his book for us today? And we'll, we'll go through that. So let's go through, the, let's go through the first part. And let's just uh, let's kind of paraphrase this and, and let's think about what Paul is saying. So Paul is saying, I am confident that this is going to work out for my good. And he says, through your prayers and the spirit of Jesus. He says, I'm confident it's going to work out for my good. So he's appealing again, as I mentioned last week, to the, he has a solid sense of the providence of God. He has a deep underpinning in the theology of God's sovereignty. He knows that God is in charge and he's working all things for his good. Even though he's under house arrest, he's still able to get the gospel out. And so he's still joyful and he's still confident because he believes that God's in this crazy mess that he's in. And he says God's going to use as a means, he's going to use their prayers and he's going to use the spirit of Jesus. It's really common for us to say, why pray? God's going to do what God's going to do. Well, God is going to do what God's going to do in answer to prayer. He stimulates in us a desire to pray, and then he acts in answer to prayer, and thus he marries, he weaves together his sovereign purposes and our involvement in that. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm confident about that. And then he says, you know, if I die, well, you know, to live is Christ, to die is even better. He's saying, if I live, my purpose in living is to live for Christ. But if I die, I go to be with Christ. So, you know, either way I win. And then in a, in a beautiful little treatment of that, he goes over, he kind of clarifies what it looks like if he, if he stays and what it looks like if he goes. And you see this in, in, you know, after 21, which is for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look at 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means if in his human body in this case, it means fruitful labor for me, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, if I'm here, I'm going to be involved in fruitful labor. And later on, he says, I'm working for your maturity and I'm working for your joy. Which, in other words, what Paul is just saying is, if I'm here, I'm going to be working for Christ's sake, for fruit in your life, that you would have more and more joy in the Lord, and that you would have more and more maturity in the Lord. And you see that real clearly as you read this. I'm hard-pressed between the two, 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know. I will remain and continue with you all. And listen to the phrase he uses, for your progress and joy in the faith. So this is, we should, we should, uh, want to continue to grow in the Lord, and that should bring us greater joy, you know, like even if things are very hard, like they were for Paul, and Paul's going to challenge them in the same way. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul just talked about himself. He says, and here's this technique. It's the technique that I use to encourage myself in the Lord it's the technique, it's, it's probably a shady way of saying it, a technique. It's a truth that when practically applied will help you when you pass through dark trials or difficult times. And that is Paul saying, okay, 
if, I, if I'm able to live, even if I'm chained to a Roman guard, I'm going to be giving the gospel to people. But if I die, and I may die, then I, that's even better because I get to go be with the Lord. So a person like that can't be defeated. So when someone comes in and they sit across the desk, maybe some of you have done this, sit across the desk and they say, Pastor, dark clouds are rolling into my life. Then I say to them, well, let me be brief here. And, and I tell them, I say, well, what's the worst that can happen? And, and then, and if the worst happens, I mean, the, the very worst that can happen is what? You can die. And then what? Are you a believer? And then you go immediately to the presence of the Lord. So that takes the sting out of things. That takes the hardship, that takes a bit of the hardship out, doesn't it? If you say, well, I am ready to go be the Lord. And so if, I, if I'm here, I'm going to suffer. But that's going to be for eternal fruit for Christ's sake. And if I suffer ultimately and die, then I go to be with the Lord. Then obviously you have us. That's why Paul said, even though we're lined up like sheep for the slaughter, we're super conquerors because we know that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Paul said that in another place, obviously in Romans chapter 8. And then he says in, in verse 27, for them, he says, that's true about me and for you. Your manner of life should be worthy of the gospel too. And you should stand together in, in the work or the progress of the gospel or the advance of the gospel. And, and he said, and talking about almost like military thing, and then he says, and you should be confident in your opposition of your opponents when people oppose you. And, uh, and, so, and so it is with us today. Look at verse 29. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but you should suffer for his sake. So let me give you these real quickly. Let me give you three things we should be thinking about. And these things will help us to joy and choose to rejoice the first thing is that we should center our life in the progress of the gospel. That's what Paul did. That's what it was all about for him. And that really is what it should be all about for us. To see a practical example of that, I put some links in the notes online today. There's actually a PDF of an entire book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. But there's a chapter late in that book where he gives seven ways that you can glorify God between in your secular vocation. And you should take a look at that. Because it'd be easy to think, well, I either have my secular vocation or my secular work or my fly fishing or my cross stitch or whatever I do over here, and then I have Christ. But, he, but Paul said, no, 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 it's all one thing. Everything that you do and all that you love to do, you, and God either gives you a way to take what you love and use it for his glory, or he overcomes what you love with something that you love even more so that it can be for, ultimately for Christ and for his glory. And so you center your life, center your life, in following Jesus. The second thing is that you expect to suffer. You expect to suffer. How, how many books are there in the New Testament? How many books are there in the New Testament? Bible scholars, how many books in the New Testament? 27, did you say? You are right. How many of the 27 books of the New Testament, how many do you think talk about suffering? How many of those 27 books say that you will have to suffer. How many do you think? 27. 27. So, and so we...
Well, hey, everybody. So, we just got rained out, and we knew that that would eventually happen, but we weren't sure it would happen today at Bethel Church because we were watching the weather, and it looked like we would have until noon. So, I'll tell you what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to share an abbreviated version of the message that I prepared, and then I'm going to save it here uh, for those uh, who, um, who wish to watch in the future. So years ago, uh, there was a pastor, his name was Eugene Peterson, and Eugene Peterson pastored in, in, uh, in Maryland. And uh, I'm going to make some adjustments to the light here. Uh, he pastored in Maryland, and on the way home from church, his, he would uh, pass his neighbor, and his neighbor would say, hey, preacher, hey, reverend, he would say, uh, it must be nice having a job where you only have to work one day a week. And Eugene Peterson would laugh. But you know, the truth is, uh, pastors do actually do things between. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Peterson said in his biography, he said, some pastors are invisible during the week and they're incomprehensible on Sunday. And of course, I want to be understandable on Sunday and available uh, through the week. One of the things that I have found that I uh, one of the things that I do through the week is sometimes I help people as they pass through deep trouble. Sometimes I pass through deep trouble. Sometimes I have family members that pass through deep trouble. And one thing we do sometimes is we walk parishioners, we walk people through the deep trouble they have. And uh, when we do that, uh, there's a technique, there's a truth from the Bible that I have often used for myself. It's been so helpful. I've often used it for other people, and I believe it's been helpful for them too. And it's found in our text today, which is in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 30. Philippians 1, 19 through 30. We're working our way through the book. We're calling it Turning the Bethel Wheel as we study through Philippians. And we're studying specifically insights and inspiration from Philippians, from the letter to the Philippians by Paul, on how to, to uh, follow Jesus and how to help other people follow Jesus. And, to, and, and in the text there, uh, Paul is talking about his imprisonment and people that are oppressing him during his imprisonment and how through the prayers of the people and also through, um, uh, through the power of the Spirit of Christ, he uh, has victory in that. And, this, and he also gives this technique, if you will, this truth. Let me, let me read this to you. The Philippians chapter 1. And uh, verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. By the way, that's the title of the message. I rejoice and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
So Paul's just simply saying here, he's, he's kind of introducing this idea, or if you will, this, uh, this tech, I call it a technique, and that is when you're going through deep waters, when difficulty has come, when hardship comes, think of the worst thing that can happen and, be, and plan for that, the suffering that may come, or ultimately um, think forward, you may die. And, and um, that's what Paul does. He said, if I live, I'll live for Christ, and I'll live to bear fruit through discipling people. And then he says, and if I die, it's better I go be with Christ. If you think that way yourself, it will lighten your load. In other words, think, I'm going to center my life in the gospel, and, I'm going to, and, and, I, and I expect to suffer, and I'm prepared to die. Center my life in the gospel, expect to suffer, prepare to die. And by the way, those three simple things are what I would consider the application of the message today. If you want to rejoice, center your life in, in the gospel, what God's doing in the world, what matters and what lasts. And if you want to rejoice, prepare to suffer. Don't, don't expect that you're never going to have suffering in your life because that's not what's going to happen. And expect to die or prepare to die. Expect to suffer and prepare to die. Now, now think of, uh, in verses 27 through 30, Paul uh, exhorts the people. He says, I'm suffering and I'm trusting God. And if I live, I live centering my life in the gospel. And if I die, I go be with Christ. And he says, and you do the same, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them of their destruction and your deliverance or your salvation, and that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You see what Paul's done? He said, I'm in a conflict, I'm suffering, and I may die. So he says, I've centered my life in the progress of the gospel, and if I suffer, I expected to suffer, and if I die, I go to be the Lord. But if I'm here, I'm going to be building into your life. And so think about this. If you, if you want to understand this principle, this truth, if you want to live in joy, center your life in what God's doing in the world, in the progress of the gospel, in following Jesus, and in helping other people follow Jesus. And then understand that that's, that's the purpose of us, that's the purpose of us being on earth. And think of all that you do. This week I was at camp, uh, and I was speaking at camp, and there were people there that were serving. There's no camp going on, but the servants, people that were building, and they were installing windows in a chapel for the glory of God, for the progress of the faith. There were people that were cooking, really good cooks, uh, pork butt one evening, a delicious meal. Hey, uh, Amish haystacks one day. Didn't look like much, but it was delicious. Why were they doing that? For the progress of the faith, for the work of the gospel. Why were the men installing the windows? Why were the fellows working on the roof? Why were the people doing plumbing and electric? Because it was their way of contributing to uh, centering their life in, in Christ and the progress of the gospel in, making, in knowing Christ and making Christ known in following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. I'm, I'm looking out the window right now, and there's a bank, there's a uh, berm 
of gravel underneath the tree. It, was, it used to be kind of weedy. And some men and women in the church came out a couple of weeks ago and labored. I mean, they really labored hard. Matter of fact, you can see this if you look out the window. It's behind the truck back there. Do you see it? Yeah, you can't quite see it. Back behind the truck. And there's a berm there of gravel. They worked hard. They labored hard. You, you say, well, what were they doing? Well, they were, they were putting gravel down. They were doing landscaping. Like, that's not what they were doing. They were working for the progress of the gospel. Uh, so that when people came to the property here, they would see that we take things seriously and that we, we think highly of them and that we think highly of our God. Uh, whatever you do, center your life in knowing Christ and making him known. And this week I was reading a, a book, a beautiful book uh, called The Old Ways, about walking paths and so forth. And the author, uh, John McFarlane, I believe is his name, McFarlane, in, in the book, he, he said that in, the, in ancient times, people would sometimes roll a huge boulder down to the edge of the river where the river was fordable. In other words, they wanted people for centuries after them, for decades and scores of years after them, to know the safe place to cross the river. And that's a worthy thing, and that's what we're doing. When we center our lives in following Christ and helping others follow him, some of those who we're helping our, our own children and our grandchildren. We're laying a boulder down so they know the only safe place to pass from this side to the other and to be forever in eternal bliss in the presence of God. And so to rejoice, center your life in the progress of the gospel. Center your life in following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. And then to rejoice, expect to suffer. You know, Paul uh, was sometimes coming into town with lumps on his head from being stoned. And he would talk about the privilege of being able to suffer for Christ's sake. There are 27 New Testament books. And guess how many of the New Testament books talk about suffering? All 27. In every single one of the 27 books of the New Testament, we're told that we can expect to suffer. You will not rejoice in this life if you don't expect to suffer. And so to rejoice, center your life in what lasts and what matters, the gospel. And to rejoice, expect to suffer, and God will redeem your suffering. And God will reward your suffering, and, and you'll be uh, rejoiced, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you, uh, Jesus said. So expect to suffer. And a third thing is re to rejoice, not only do we center our life in the gospel and expect to suffer, but we actually prepare to die. We live prepared to die. That's what Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If Jesus were to walk into your life and were to say to you, will you lay down your life for, the, for me? You would probably say yes. If he said, if you would lay down your life in a one-time sacrifice, would you give up your life for me? You, you, you would probably say yes. But often what he is going to ask is he's going to say, I want you to give me your life, and then I'm going to ask you to die over and over again. He didn't just say to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. Sometimes he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. In other words, there are going to be little things where you die to your own desires, little things where you die to your own, your own pleasures, uh, your own intentions, the things that you had planned. And, uh, and those are, are like laying down your life. Uh, in other words, he says, you say to him, you can have my life. And then you, he says, can, can I have it in a one-time payment? You say, yes. Can I have it in a whole bunch of really small payments over a long period of years? We need to be able to say yes then. To rejoice then, we want to center our life in the gospel 
We want to we want to expect to suffer and we want to prepare to die. And you may ask, does this mean I never get to do the things I love? Does this never I never get to golf or fish or or, or read or, or or you know do my hobby or the things I love? And and the answer is no. It means that you take the things that you love and you use them for the cause. If you look online at uh, BethelJackson.org, you can see the notes for this message. And you can also see links to some videos and some actually download of a PDF book by John Piper, a PDF of a full book uh, by John Piper on BethelJackson.org after I'm done here. And, and you can download these resources, but they'll help you to understand how can I live for God and still have a secular vocation? How can I center my life in the gospel and still have my own hobbies and my own desires? God will either help you baptize your hobbies and use them for his sake or for perhaps for rest and recreation to invigorate you to uh, serve him, or he'll give you stronger and more fulfilling desires. And maybe you set aside the things that you used to do, or maybe you'll take the things that you used to do and you'll use them for a new purpose. But God will often either help you use the things you love or he'll change what you love into something more fruitful, more joyful, and more fulfilling. I know of a man who liked to hike in the Himalayas, and he went there, but then he met the people, and his heart was so broken that he actually stopped going to the Himalayas to hike, and he returned to the Himalayas as a missionary, and now he takes other people on hikes so they can see the need of the people. I know a man who loved to hike the Appalachian Trail, Bill Newman, they call him Circuit Rider. And he through-hiked the Appalachian Trail, I think at least twice. And then he began to take youth groups and other people along on the Appalachian Trail to teach them discipleship and witnessing. He took his desire, the thing that he loved to do, that God actually put his desire, God works through the desires of our heart. He took that and he used it in Christian ministry. And they say that Bill Newman, when he's hiking the Appalachian Trail section, hiking the Appalachian Trail, sometimes he'll take his hat, hang it on a stake, and he'll go to town. And when they see his hat, people will gather around his hat knowing there's going to be trail magic. In other words, he's going to come back to town with pizza or something, and then they'll all gather around, and he'll witness the people. And he's a witness for Christ, and he helps train people. In other words, he's taking the thing that he loves to do, that God gave him a desire to do, and, and, and this is what will often happen, and he's used it for the glory of God. That's what will often happen. Often we can go ahead and do what we are going to do because it's restful and relaxing and God wants us to be able to have energy to serve him and so they're legitimate to fish or read or do whatever you do to relax. And other times he'll, he'll allow us to take that thing. I know people who use golf as a means of evangelism. Golf as a means of discipleship and these are men and women who love golf. And so they're doing what they love with other people that are doing what they love but they're doing it for Christ's sake and for the gospel. And if you want to look at some practical suggestions about how to use your secular vocation, your secular vocation for the glory of God uh, and for the kingdom, uh, take a look at uh, the, the last or second from the last chapter, I believe it is, maybe uh, seven things John Piper talks about glorifying God between eight and five in the book, Don't Waste Your Life, which is linked, a PDF version of that is linked on the BethelJackson.org website on the sermon notes today. I have an uncle. He just went to be with the Lord, his Uncle Bill, and he got saved a little bit later in life. And later in life, after he retired, he and his wife would take their fifth wheel and they would go on missionary ventures. I never saw him happier than when he was just going places to work, going places to serve, going places for the sake of the gospel. And I don't think you'll ever be happier 
um, there's a video on the same page I was referring to. Um, it's there are two short videos on on the missional church and on missional community, and you should watch them. They help give you a taste of what it's like to center your life in the gospel, prepare to suffer, or expect to suffer, prepare to die, and still take the things you delight in and use them uh, for the for the sake of the gospel. In verse 18, Paul says, I rejoice and I will rejoice. And in verse 25, he says, for your progress and joy in the faith. In other words, living all out for God doesn't take away your joy. It's the way to joy. And so again, you know, if I haven't repeated it enough already, can I remind you a powerful application, insight, if you will, inspiration from this letter to the Philippians for those of us who want to make the Bethel wheel turn who want to make disciples, who want to follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. Take everything you do and center it in the Jesus message, in the Jesus story, in following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. And then don't be surprised when God calls you to suffer and use that for the sake of the gospel too. And then don't be intimidated or afraid if you're asked to die. Be prepared to die. And when you're prepared to die, you can live in victory because no one can... No one can no one can um, uh, defeat you because you know if you're if you die you you go to be with the Lord. I want to leave you now with a benediction, uh, with a bit of a blessing. Uh, my much loved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, in following Jesus and helping others follow Jesus. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. God bless you.